Hi, it's so good to be with you. PA men, if it's okay, I will just use the pulpit mic. I think I'll stick close to home here. I'm so glad that you're here. I thank you for the effort that you made, the travels, the, the travels that you miled. <laughs> the miles that you traveled, I have a good excuse. I just traveled a lot of miles. My husband and I were in Nigeria for nine days, and we just landed less than 24 hours ago. And I brought back with me a tiny little friend. The Bushies call them wee beasties. Uh, I got food poisoning, we think, that's what it was, on the last day. So I have a safety plan. I'm kind of kidding, and I'm kind of not. We, uh, our journey over to Nigeria started off interesting. How many of you get to travel for different things, maybe business or pleasure? or My husband is the missions pastor, and so we do get to travel quite a lot. And we were with uh, Brother Mark and Sabrina Holmes in Nigeria, and we had a ladies' conference, and then we had a revival conference back-to-back. And so we flew over, I'm not even going to try to remember what day, last week sometime. And when our first flight out of Chicago was delayed for four hours, and so we missed our connection in Frankfurt, Germany. So, And they only have one flight from Frankfurt to Abuja, Nigeria, a day. So we were delayed another 24 hours and spent the night there in Frankfurt. And then we landed in Abuja at 4.30. Uh, yes, 4, 4.30. Took us about 20 minutes, 30 minutes to get our luggage. The ladies' conference started at 6.30, and we were an hour and a half from the airport. Are you doing the math? I was still in the same clothes I had left in almost three days earlier. I did not smell good. I did not look good. But I went to this tiny little Nigerian bathroom in the airport because Emily Christensen, who um, our missionaries there as well, she said, we don't really have a good bathroom at the church, so you should probably use the one in the airport. So it wasn't even big enough for me to open my suitcase in. So I left it outside the door, rummaging through, trying to get a clean change of clothes, shaking out the least wrinkled thing. And, um, and every time we travel, I learn something. So, duh, have an extra change of clothes in your carry-on, right? And also, this trip, I learned spritz it before with perfume before you put it in your carry-on. That way, when you pull it out, at least part of you will smell good. So I changed really quick, and I tried to freshen up, and we got there to the church about 6.45, but Emily texted me, don't worry, we're on Nigerian time. You're fine. And it was a wonderful conference, and I have a whole new level of respect for our Nigerian missionaries. Nigeria is a harsh country. It is a very hard place to live. 
Brother Mark Holmes got arrested twice while we were there, detained. They're just taking him for no good reason. They don't have a good reason. They just want money. And uh, it's hot. And the power is on for about four hours a day. The whole last session of the ladies' conference was no power, no fans. Obviously, there's not air conditioning in the church. But at least we had the fans. There was no fans. I was just kind of sitting, not sitting, standing there teaching, just kind of, you know, sparkling all over. Oh, boy. What a blessing it was to be there to get to meet the dear Nigerian people. They smile. They love the Lord. They are hungry to learn and hungry for truth. It was very humbling to be there. I told my husband when we got back, Honey, if I ever start to complain, just put your hand over my mouth and say one word, Nigeria because I have nothing to complain about. I'm so thankful for America. You know, this probably stronger than any other time in my life, and we lived 18 years overseas, and we lived in a third world country in Thailand for six years, but even that compared to Nigeria, I didn't even feel like a missionary in comparison. And... Uh, but this trip back when we landed in Chicago yesterday, I was so thankful to be back on American soil. We have no idea how good we have it. And I'm so thankful. I'm thankful to get to be here with you. And I'm really hoping I can stand up here the whole time without having to run to the ladies' room. My backup plan down there. Um, embrace your season. I had not heard the song uh, that Deb wrote, and it's just, it goes along perfectly with what I want to share. I just want to share my heart with you today. I hope that it will be an encouragement, and I just want to pray real quick. Father God, we need you today. Thank you that you know every single one of us in this room. You know our name. You know our needs. You know our heart, you know our depravity, and yet you still love us. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. You're so good to us. You're so merciful. Every single day, your mercies are new, and you're so gracious, and you're so kind. Thank you, Father. Please meet each one of us today where we need you speak to our hearts, and we love you. Please help me. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I like that Miss Angie shared. That was the first time I've ever got to raise my hand and say, I'm a grandma. I thought, oh, I get to raise my hand. The Lord blessed us with our very first grandson about seven weeks ago. And, yes, oh, he was born in Oregon, and his name is Winston Derrick, and he's chubby and gorgeous and perfect and already smiles a lot. And I just FaceTimed with him. Of course, you know, once you have the grandbabies, it's like I don't FaceTime with my daughter anymore. I FaceTime with my grandson. And I was FaceTiming Winston yesterday, and he was just smiling away. And, of course, I knew that all of those smiles were for Nani right? I'm Nani. That's my new name. And I like this season of grandbabies. 
And on that same day, we had our daughter-in-law was expecting as well. And they were actually expecting about three weeks apart. But Rebecca was late and Katie Bell was early. So 12 hours later, on the very same day, God gave us our second grandbaby. Isn't that amazing? My husband got to tell everybody in church, but I haven't got to yet. So there, I feel better. I mean, who gets that? Two grandbabies in one day, so we've already gotten to be with both of them, and we are so blessed. And our daughter, actually our oldest daughter, is expecting as well. She's due in five weeks with a girl. And they're all coming home for Christmas, so the Bushy household will be full and happy. And we were talking about trying to get another arrangement uh, so that we would have enough uh, beds and places for everybody to stay. And then my husband piped up and he said, oh no, the other arrangement is for me. So I have somewhere to sleep when all the babies are crying. I have a feeling that he's going to be a lot different with the grandbabies, right? I like this season of grandbabies. But there's a season that I have been going through that I did not like so much. Now, some of you, uh, uh, those of us whose first digit of our age starts with a five and not a two, uh, I have been going through this season of menopause, and it's wonderful. And I have tried to find information and things that would help me. And every symptom on the list, I have had it multiple times. When we got back from Thailand, we've been back in the States nine years now, just over nine years. And I had, you know, uh, parasites and and I went and got checked out with Dr. Streeter, and he checked on my levels, and he said, whoa, you're really deficient in this and this, and so he gave me lots of supplements and different things. But then when I hit the season of menopause, I went back to him again, and I was asking him to check different things, and I said, I'm a really sweet person normally, but I'm not anymore. And I don't like who I am anymore. And I try to tell myself all the things that I would tell you if you were being a stinker. But it doesn't work. And so he checked my levels again. And he looks at me and he goes, I don't know how your husband is still alive. <laughs> he said, are you, are you struggling with depression? I said, oh, no. No, I just go straight to angry. Do I have, do my, oh, hallelujah. Well, I mean, not really, but yeah, suffer with me. And so I was talking to my sister-in-law, and she's in perimenopause. I'm past perimenopause. I'm past menopause. I'm, thank goodness, I'm down, I'm going down the down slope. But there's so many things I wish I had known before, and, um, and it just is what it is. It was a season. And for me, the hard part lasted about seven years. So hold on. Um, 
I talked to a dear lady in our church, and I, she's much older than me, maybe by 20 years or so, and I said, what was it like for you? And she said, well, she has a sweet voice and a sweet temperament. She said, well, it wasn't really that hard for me. I didn't notice anything different. I was just like, okay, thank you. Bye. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to talk to somebody else. <laughs> so through these seven years, the Lord has given me three specific friends three specific wise counselors. And a lot of you would know them if I, if I said their name. And at three different times, God used their counsel and their friendship to, to save me. They gave me godly counsel. They did not judge me. They were listening with a, with a, with a comforting ear. And I'm so thankful for friends. And, you know, God made us in his image, so he made us to need each other. These people that say, oh, I could live on an island all by myself and I'd be just fine. They're dumb. They don't really mean that. Or they're terribly, terribly hurt. God made us to need each other. He made us to love one another, to encourage one another, to exhort one another, to rebuke one another. We need each other so very, very much, and I'm thankful for the friends that the Lord gave me along the way. But I learned that more than ever in my life, I needed my time with the Lord. I needed my be still moments is what I came to call them. I had, that was the only way that I was gonna make it through that season of life was those be still moments. And I'll be honest, I like to journal. I'm a sporadic journaler because, you know, I don't have to commit to doing it every single day, and kind of that gets boring anyway when you read old journals. So I'll just do it every now and then. But I've written in my journal more than once. I won't even write down really what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking right now because I don't want it on paper, and I don't want to have to read it again someday. And that's really where I was at. And, and it was a hard season. <clears throat> and I claimed Jeremiah chapter 31. So if you want to turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, this chapter became, and many verses, oh my goodness, so many verses that became such an encouragement and such a blessing to me. And I'll tell you, ladies, when Mrs. Wilkerson asked me to um, speak, I was not going to speak on this topic because I wasn't ready to talk about it yet. And as I was praying and going over the theme, embrace your season, I just felt like the Lord kept bringing me back to it. And I thought, oh, do I have to talk about it? Do I have to be so human <laughs> and, uh, and so raw and so terrible in front of all these ladies? And the Lord just kept bringing me back to it. And when I heard that song, um, the, the theme song, and the I'm choosing to embrace this season, I just want to share with you some things that the Lord did to help me through this season that can apply no matter what season you're going through. 
In, um, in verse, I believe it is verse 2, where it says, Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. Uh, my season of menopause was my wilderness. It was something that I had never experienced before. I was talking with another pastor's wife because I wanted some good godly counsel. I didn't want to just read on the internet, and I didn't want to just read a, a, a secular book. And so I was speaking with her, and she was such an encouragement to me. And she said, Amber, Menopause was the 10 year, worst years of my life. And she said, I really believe that it's one of Satan's last-ditch efforts to attack marriages. That's why we see so many late-life divorces. That's why a woman gets in her 50s and she's been married 30, 35 years, and she leaves her husband and she runs off with a 30-year-old? What is she thinking? You know, but... but I know that where Satan attacked me the most was in my marriage. And we had a one, we have a wonderful marriage. But man, he did his best effort to really work me over time. And it was hard. And in, uh, in this chapter, the people of Israel found grace in their wilderness. I love verse 3. I have said it so many times that God loves me with an everlasting love and he draws me to himself with loving kindness. You know, when one of our children, when they're sad or when they need a comforting ear, I mean, they're grown up now. Our youngest is 14. But when they were little, oh, it was, gave me such joy to pick them up and put them on my lap and to nurture them, right? God made us ladies to nurture. And now, soon, I'll get to do that with my grandbabies and nurture them. That's what I think of when I think of God drawing me to himself with loving kindness. He says, Amber, come here. Come and sit on my lap. Let me wrap my arms around you. Let me just hold you here for a while. Will you just sit still for a while? Because I can tend to just keep going, just keep going. I got this. I can do this. Just keep going. And God wanted me, during this season especially, I learned how I had to stop and I had to be still and know that he is God and to know his precious word and to absorb myself in his word and to be strengthened and encouraged in his word. Verse 4 says, again, I will build thee and thou shalt be built. I felt like over and over the waves were rolling. I mean, seven years is a long time. And over and over again, I had to be rebuilt. But I had to go to God's precious word to be rebuilt. Um, verse 9 says, They shall come with weeping, and with supplications will I lead them. This dear pastor's wife shared that there was an older lady in her church that was about 20, 30 years older than her, and she went to her 
and she was a godly Christian lady, had been in, her, in their church the whole time that, that her husband had been the pastor. And she said to this dear lady, how was menopause for you? How did you get through it? And she said, that lady just sweetly said, I cried and I cried and I cried. Yep. I was like, okay, it's okay. <laughs> they shall come with weeping. And I will watch. I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. During this season, God said, come, get refreshed in me. I will lead you. I will help you. Yep, it's going to be a bumpy ride, but it's okay. I'll help you through these waters. And verse 12, the end of verse 12 says, And their soul shall be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. I like it that God put the at all at the end, don't you? He says, Come here, get refreshed. You can be like a watered garden. And by the way, the beginning of verse 12 says, they came and they sang. So that was one of the things that God used to greatly help me and refresh me was the singing because I realized that I was having a lot of stinking thinking. Mom, that's what my mom calls it, stinking thinking. She's from, well, she's not, she's from California, but she's been in North Carolina for many, many years, and that's where I grew up. So in North Carolina, we don't stinking thinking, we stinking thinking, okay? And when I would get in that frame of mind, I would put on the Bible, and I would try to listen to the Bible, and I would put on good music, and I would try to listen to that, but I found that even when that was going, my mind could still think about something else. I could still think about who had hurt me and who had wronged me and how unfair life was and I can't do this anymore. I could still go there, but I couldn't when I was singing because when I was singing, I was thinking about what I was saying and, and I couldn't think about the, the stinking thinking as well as the singing. So it was such a help for me. So I would get my songs not every single day God would give me a different song, but many times God would give me my songs. And what it ended up doing was I would find that I would have a song in my heart almost all the time. And I needed that song in my heart. And I would just be humming and I would just be going through the day and the Lord really used it to help change my stinking thinking. And verse 12 says, they came and they sang. And that's what caused their soul to be like a watered gar uh, garden. And I love this. It says, they shall come and sing and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord. You can't even read that without kind of going like this, can you? They shall flow together uh, to the goodness of the Lord. I like to look up the meanings of words. And the root meaning of flow together is literally to sparkle, not the kind of sparkling I was doing in Nigeria, but good sparkle, like um, cheerful and joyful, like the flow or the sheen of a running stream. I love to be beside a running stream. 
I love the sound of the water gently moving across the rocks. God says that's what our soul can be like when we come to him and we cast our cares on him like literally, God, here, I can't do this. And he refreshes us like a watered garden and not sorrow anymore at all. Verse 25 and 26, For I have satiated the weary soul, and I have replenished every sorrowful soul. When I would read that, it was so refreshing, because God knew exactly where I was at and exactly what I needed. God knows exactly where you are at and what you need. And maybe you're not struggling with anything at all. Hallelujah. But hang on, because there'll be something around the corner. And God knows what you need. He will replenish your sorrowful soul. Get your be still moments. Get your song. Get your verse. Write it down in a journal. Keep that and go back over it frequently because God will use it to replenish your soul. You know, in uh, John, I, I don't remember the chapter, but Mary and Martha. Martha was busy, 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 busy. And she was doing good things. She was serving Jesus Christ. I mean, what a house guest. She was doing busy things, but Jesus told Martha, Mary hath chosen that good part. We get so busy in life that we often don't do the very thing that will help us to keep going. That good part, that time alone with Jesus, being in the calm of his presence. I love that song. In the calm of your presence. I'm listening, Lord. I'm still. I'm quiet. I'm yours. We often substitute those times with distractions. We'll scroll on our phone, and I'm just as guilty as the next person. We'll start looking through Facebook, or we'll start looking at little good YouTube videos, things that will help me get my house organized. And good things, or maybe we'll um, watch something on TV or on Netflix, and we just get so distracted. We, we live in a world that is filled with distractions, and some of them are evil distractions. And we need to set those aside, and we need to commit to have our be-still moments with Christ. It's like partial attention is our new normal. And all those friends that we have on social media, and I know, I, I have a Facebook account, but I'm terrible at putting anything on, and, I, and, and some of you use it in wonderful, wonderful ways, but... But for me, it, was, it became a distraction, and, and I didn't want it to be that. I wanted it to be a good thing if it could be for me. And I, I wanted to make sure that God, and he doesn't get all of the attention that he ought to, but I'm striving to, and I want to please him in that area. I was reading a book couple years ago uh, about the ruthless elimination of hurry. 
And obviously we have to balance this because um, our time is short. The days are evil and we know that we must be busy for, for the Lord. Um, but not so busy that we forget that good part. And in this study that they did, it showed that the average person touches their phone 2,617 times a day. And for millennials, you can double that. Wow! What would our lives be like if God touched our minds as often as we touch our phones? That was convicting to me. I don't know what season you're in right now. Are you in a dry season? Maybe your walk with the Lord is stale, and you want it to be fresh, and you want it to be exciting, and you want the Lord to speak to you. Maybe you're in an angry season where past hurts and, and bitterness. You have chosen to hold on to them. I can choose not to be angry. I can choose to respond with a soft answer. I can choose not to take offense. I can choose not to dwell on past hurts. I can choose not to dwell on harsh words. Sometimes we just hit replay over and over and we ruminate about them. And who does it hurt the most? Us. And I know some of you live in difficult situations. I know some of you go home to an angry spouse, and I hurt for you, and I'm sorry that that's your life. And I encourage you, if you've never talked to anybody, to talk to somebody. We have a ministry in our church called Redemptive Hope, and God is using that ministry to help families, to help homes, to help marriages. You don't have to suffer alone, my sister. There are friends and there are people who want to help you. I did, because of menopause, I did a Bible study on anger. And I was shocked and convicted about how I had begun responding in anger. And that even when I had a genuine hurt, a genuine offense, how I responded to it became the real issue. Whatever hurt and offense you're going through, God has allowed it. And those trials and those tribulations are perfecting you. <laughs> All right, no more. I don't want any more perfecting. I'll just stay rotten like I am. It works patience. Tribulation works patience. And patience works hope experience and experience hope. God's doing something in you, through you, if you let him, if you choose to let him. And like the song says, if you choose to embrace your season and hang on. Maybe you're in an indifferent season. You're just tired of being in the fight. And you know what? The Christian life is a fight. It's a whole lot better than the life in the world because the way of the transgressor is hard. But this is a battle that we're in. My husband says, this is not supposed to be the good life. That one's coming. But I do have a good, good, good life. And so much to be thankful for. Maybe you're in a health crisis season. Someone mentioned just hearing of a 15-year-old getting cancer right before this conference. 
Maybe you're in a broken season. Maybe you've already lost hope. Maybe this conference was your last thread and your faith is wavering. Maybe you're in a prodigal season where you have children that you gave birth to and loved and nurtured and cherished, and they are making sinful choices. We have a devil. We have a Satan that's very real. And he doesn't just want to derail our children. He wants to devour our children. Maybe you're in a joyful season. I hope so. I'm glad. I love the verse, a merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. And I can say there have been many times where I came to church over the last seven years like this. See, I'm cheerful. I'm happy. Can you tell I'm happy? <laughs> and that's not real joy, obviously. It comes from the heart. Deep down inside, a merry heart is a glad joyful, grateful, content heart. Okay, God, I'll deal with this. It'll get better, right? I can choose to be glad. I can choose to be content. My mom and dad were missionaries in Thailand with us. We got to serve together after living overseas uh, for, oh, see, I'm not, the jet lag brain is not going to do numbers today. Many years. And then my parents joined us on the mission field, and we got to serve together for two and a half years. And my dad and mom were out soul winning with a translator one day, and they met a couple, a Thai couple, that were in their 80s. And they were so happy. And my dad got to share the gospel with them, and they both prayed, and they both got saved. But my dad had noticed they seemed really happy before he even shared the gospel with them. And he asked them, why are you so happy? And the man told him, he said, you see, you see this mattress that's leaning up against the wall here? He said, I am so happy because we found this at the dump. And now we have a mattress so we can use it for a roof over our heads. And yet, sometimes I have the audacity to say, oh, this, this hotel mattress isn't very comfortable. It's too hard. <laughs> the pillow's too soft. Contentment. I will be content in whatever state that I am in. I was recently having one of my be still moments. It was August 8th. It was a sunny morning. I was on the back porch. There was a soft breeze blowing. I know that because I wrote it in my journal. Otherwise, I wouldn't have remembered it. That's part of menopause too. <laughs> the sun was shining. The birds were singing. I love birds singing. When I was young, I thought it's only old people that talk about birds. Yep. And coffee. I had coffee. Of course, every be still moment includes coffee. And I was reading and studying about the virtuous woman. And we know that she was a fictitious character. Well, she was. It's true. <laughs> Nobody can be that good. But think about it. The smartest man in the Bible was writing about his perfect woman. 
This is what she's going to look like. This is what she's like. And she had all these amazing qualities. She was a hard worker. She was industrious. She made her own money. She was a smart shopper. She dressed gorgeous like Amy Vasek, who always looked like she stepped out of Vogue magazine. She was up before the sun. She was strong. She was beautiful. She was smart. She helped the poor. She was all these good qualities. But do you remember what was the very first quality that he started with? I'll tell you. The heart of her husband, first, who can find a virtuous woman? Yeah, right, because she ain't out there. (gasps) The heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. And as I studied that, especially through this fun journey that I've been on, the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said, This husband trusted her. He confided in her. His heart was safe with her. She was a place of refuge for him. He was confident in her love for him. Well, isn't that good? (laughs) Does your husband really, does he know, does he believe you love him? Does he know you believe in him? He put great confidence in her. She didn't let him down. She didn't take him for granted. She appreciated him. And she showed her gratitude for him and all he did for her and for their family. He was enough for her. And she was enough for him. They were content. They weren't perfect. But they were satisfied with each other. And he didn't have any need to look for spoil elsewhere. My husband says, why would I go looking for a, a V-dub if I've got a Cadillac in the garage? Sorry, Jennifer Ruth, where are you? No, no, no offense. I know, a V-dub. <gasps> My friend is here all the way from Colorado. Friends, oh, so good to see you. Oh. She will do, verse 12, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Satan whispers lies to us, doesn't he? And he is more subtle than any beast. And we will not be able to discern the truth unless we go to the source of the truth. You know, Amy, you got up here and you said, I know it doesn't seem very conference-like that we're memorizing a verse. Well, it ought to be. And God convicts me regularly that I don't hide his word in my heart enough. I want to hide his word in my heart that I might not sin. I want to have scripture ready to rebuke Satan and to rebuke his lies. I like what one southern preacher said. He said, when Satan comes and whispers on your shoulder, just tell him, go home. You'll get that in a minute. All right. (laughs) Did I just say that? Yeah, okay, I did. Yep. Um, But I love the fact that it says she will do him good. When you study do him good, it means to be cheerful, to be pleasant, to be kind, to be glad, to be gracious, joyful, loving, merry, sweet, precious. Does that describe you? It didn't describe me many times. And the Lord convicted me 
that comes from a heart that loves the Lord, that seeks the Lord. Yep, even through hard times, he can help me respond in the right way. This was Solomon's perfect woman. She will do him good and not evil. Not bad. Not bringing great grief. Not harsh. Not hurtful. Not bringing him misery or sorrow or trouble. Not being noisome like a contentious woman on a rainy day. Drip, drip, drip. Um, to spoil by breaking to pieces, to vex. We know how to vex our husbands, don't we? We know how to push their buttons sometimes. But shame on us if we use that as a weapon, if we use our words as a weapon. So I wrote down in my journal, it's my job to do him good, and it's God's job to make him good. It's not my job to make him good. I do not make a good Holy Spirit, but I do know how to pray. And I have a wonderful, wonderful husband who loves the Lord and provides for our family and is a good man and is an attentive man. Not perfect. Who is, right? I want to do him good and not evil all the days of my life. One of my sweet counselors said to me, meekness is learned through injustice. Hmm. I don't like injustice. I like things to be fair. I like people to be nice. There's no reason not to be nice. But meekness is learned through injustice. And through it, I can choose, just like our song says, I can choose to be meek, gentle, strong, full of honor, hardworking, kind, intelligent, all those wonderful things that the virtuous woman is. I can choose to be someone that my husband can love and someone that he can trust. I know not everyone in here is married, but these are all truths and principles that we can apply to any relationship in our life. And it just happens to be the season that I'm embracing. Beg God for strength and wisdom and meekness. Have your be still moments with God. Get your verses. Get your songs. Before I finish, I want to tell you a story. I have a picture that they're going to put on the IMEGs of a beautiful Nigerian lady named Itunu. And I've already done enough tears, so I'm going to try not to do any more. <clears throat> I met Itunu while we were in... I'm sorry. Okay. 
I have a video of her sharing her testimony. I was going to try to play it, but I realized you wouldn't ex understand it because they have this beautiful West African accent. And I was practicing it this morning while I was ironing my dress. And Libby goes, oh, that's really good, Mom. I thought, if I try to do it here, I'll, I'll flub it up. Um, so we were talking one night after church. And Itunu actually made that dress for me that I'm wearing. Um, what they do for conferences is they choose a conference cloth, they call it. And everyone buys the fabric. And they all get these gorgeous dresses made. And there's another picture that you can go to. These are the ladies that were at the conference. And you see them all in their beautiful dresses. It's kind of hard since it's so um, many of them. But um, they're all dressed alike. And it was so special. And you can go back to Itunu. And so we were just talking after church. And um, she was sharing with me just, I mean, just she's so bubbly. If you, you, she's so bubbly and so sweet, and she calls me ma'am. And um, so she was just talking about different things, and she started talking about her life and her story. And I was just blown away. And so I was listening, and I said, would you share that again and let me record it? Because I teach a missions class at the college, and I want my girls to hear your testimony. So all you girls that are in my missions class, you have a treat coming. But I'll have to put the words at the bottom, because it can be hard to understand her. But she shared her story. She shared her testimony. Itunu, oh, oh my soul, I'm supposed to stop at 2.34. Oh, I've missed that. I mean, I have it written right there really big, but um, sorry. Can I tell my story real, real, real quick? I'll tell it real story. She had a horrible life. The end. <laughs> no. Okay. She was born into an abusive home. Mother very angry. Her mother used to tell her, don't smile. Don't ever smile. She would slap her across the face if she smiled. She said, it is only loose women that smile and um, very abusive father. And her mom couldn't deal with it anymore, so she left him. And she found a man who was going to be her savior, and he was worse. And he abused Itunu. And um, then her mother got pregnant, and during the delivery, she had complications. And her father didn't do anything, didn't even care, and just let her lay there and die. Itunu took care of her baby sister, carried her around on her back, found mothers in the village who could nurse her. Um, but after her mom died, there was no one to protect her from her stepfather. He tried um, almost every night to rape her. Um, she finally got away from him, and she went to live with an auntie. And she said, I thought my mom was bad. The, my auntie was the devil. She used to dragged me into the street and stripped my clothes off and beat me naked. That's Itunu's life. And she got saved when she was a young adult. Someone invited her to a missionary church, and she got saved. But as she's telling me that story, she's sharing how God did such a work of grace in her life and she loves the Lord, and she has the joy of the Lord. You would never know. You would never know that was her story. Itunu has chosen 
to love God and to be a blessing to others. She's the dean of women at their institute there. And I'm so grateful the girls have her testimony. Thank you, ladies, so much for being here. I hope that the Lord will use some of these thoughts to help you choose to embrace the season of life that you are in. God bless you for being here.